In the words of the legendary Lou Gellerman, hello, dog fans, and welcome to the Sound the Siren podcast, because everything matters. I'm Hooligan7, and I'm joined this evening for our premiere episode by Johnny Tugs, UW football marketing armchair consultant, otherwise known as FMAC, JCAP, Dog Process, and DJ Quiddy. Before we get into the in-depth intros to all of our contributors, we want to give thanks to everyone that ever wrote letters to conference leadership, tweeted, or otherwise shared Fire Larry, Fire Larry <laughs> on social media, or expressed that idea in any fashion. It's our day of jubilee, y'all. Cheers. Hold yes. applause. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Go dogs. Go dogs. So we're going to start tonight's episode with a quick intro into uh, who we are, why listen to us when, as we talk at length about UW athletics, particularly football. Um, so we'll start this evening uh, with with Johnny Tugs. Tugs, what's your history? Why are you a Husky fan? And what, what are you sipping on tonight? Uh, Johnny Tugs is sipping on uh, Campfire, High West Campfire Whiskey, and... Uh, you could find me at uh, Captain Tug, and uh, yeah, I just love the dogs. Grew up with them, and it's a family thing. I love getting together with the family and uh, friends, tailgating. That's what it's about. Purple and gold. That's for sure. And uh, if you remember, because uh, it's one that's challenging for me as well. What would you say is your earliest football memory from UW? Oh. Um, Probably the 91 season, rolling in the car, coming back from sporting events or whatever, soccer games, and having my dad tell me to be quiet so he's trying to listen to the game on whatever station it was on. Because we didn't have VCR back then or whatever. So, yeah, that was it. Yeah, I, I have a lot of memories of that of that era as well on drives. Sometimes asking my parents to turn it up so I could hear it over their conversation. Yeah, right. Um, sometimes. Um, all right, F Mac, how about you? What are you sipping on tonight? Uh, what's your background as a Husky fan? Yeah, so I'm starting with the Kentucky Mule here. Um, it's one of my go-tos. What uh, kind of bourbon? Uh, Maker's Mark. That's my preferred bourbon for the Kentucky Mule. In terms of my history, I think, you know, probably similar to a lot of y'all stories, like I, that's my first memory is going to Husky Stadium uh, on Saturdays, kind of my, my dad waking me up and throwing me in the car with him and his few of his buddies and me just kind of listening to them banter back and forth and bitch about the coaching or whatever it was. And this would have been probably, you know, 87, 88 when I first started paying attention and going. Um and he had season tickets. And so it was always just a thing for me to, to, and kind of a routine and ritual, right. To go every Saturday morning, wake up, you know, go cheer on the dogs. This is back in the day when all the game times were the same, right. And <laughs> we didn't have eight 30 PM kickoffs. So it was Saturday mornings. And so, so I have great memories and I've since, you know, taken over my, my dad's season ticket, uh, season tickets. And yeah, I just love, love the dogs. Um, been a fan for as long as I can remember. Yeah. I'm sorry. Did, did you did you touch on their uh, earliest UW memory? Yeah, it probably would be in that like early like you know eighty seven, eighty eight. Um, you know, I, I think the first thing probably that comes to mind is going to the games and getting like 
you know, the hot chocolate. I was a young tyke. I wasn't really, you know, paying attention to football too much, but I remember, you know, getting, asking my dad to pick up UW gear afterwards. Right. And like that whole, so it was such an instrumental part of like me growing up and figuring out what sports were and, you know, my childhood. So it's, it's kind of stuck with me. Right. Sure. No, absolutely. All right. J-Cap, what, what's your beverage of choice? History uh, as a Husky fan and earliest memory. I am drinking Silver City Brewery Ride the Spiral Pineapple Orange Double IPA. Nice. It's a long name. Yeah, it's a nice We're long name. We're riding the spiral um, right now. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, my history as a Husky fan, I moved to the Seattle area from Southern California uh, when I was 12. Um, my dad grew up here. Uh, he was a Husky fan for a long time. He went to Seattle Pacific, um, but he always grew up a uh, dog fan. Uh, so I grew up watching Husky football and stuff like that. Um, my earliest Husky football memory for myself was a, uh, 2007, uh, watching Beanie Wells and Ohio State rip us a new asshole. That was fun. On that note, I'm taking another drink. Yeah, we were sitting right behind some Ohio State fans. That was not a good time at all. But it was a good time because I was at the stadium. But it was rough. (laughs) All right, dog process. How about you, dude? Yeah, so uh, I'm born and raised Seattle. So I just kind of grew up rooting for all the Seattle teams. Um, Obviously, UW is part of that. Uh, I'd say my first Husky football memory was uh, probably 2009, when actually when we upset USC, because when I was little, I used to, first thing every morning before school, I would go on ESPN and look at all the news or whatever. So get up uh, and see, you know, UW takes down USC, and it was like a huge deal because they had finished top three every year uh, until that point. And then I just kind of started following the team more and more over the years, got into high school, um, and a bunch of my friends in high school, they had season tickets, so I was just kind of able to mooch uh, seats off of them get to most of the home games, uh, that kind of stuff. Then as far as what I'm drinking tonight, uh, in case you can't tell, I might not be uh, quite as old as some of the other skeletons on this podcast. Uh, so I got Whoa. the uh, yeah, <laughs> I got the uh, Bolt House Farms Chocolate Protein Plus with me here. Non-alcoholic, <laughs> obviously. Hey, at least one of us is healthy. <laughs> no. All right, DJ, how about you, dude? Yeah, so... For me sipping tonight, well, first of all, apologize for the mic, piece of shit mic I got, but new one coming in soon. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, first of all, I'm not really drinking anything tonight. I got a pretty important meeting I got to attend in the morning, so got to keep a <laughs> straight head on, on for that. But why am I a Husky fan and earliest memories? So, I mean, kind of like you guys, like it's it's pretty much in my blood. My my dad and his brothers grew up Husky fans. Like I'm from from around the area. Uh, my dad actually went to UW. Well, he actually started at WSU and went to UW and stayed a UW fan the whole time. And then yeah, I just grew up with the older brothers all liking Huskies, watching when I was a kid. And yeah, just been a fan ever since. You know, I've had some of my closest friends growing up were Husky fans, so that helped. My childhood best friend, and then I knew people are. Uh, guys that played free dub when I was a kid and like family friends and friends from high school. So that was helpful. And 
my first memory i mean there's i just remember watching some games here and there on tv when i was a kid but for some reason i don't know why it stuck out but it must have been like 95 96 and i was really little and i was watching the game with my family and so we obviously early 90s UW was really good and then we had a couple years we're like oh kind of average a little bit above average so like after like two three years of that the first game of the season they we kicked off at a team they had a long kickoff i don't know not not a touchdown but like to the 50 yard line or something i just remember my uncle was like oh well that's how the season's gonna go and just being pessimistic and just like so my family is so yeah that was probably my first memory but yeah i mean one thing that stuck out when, when i was little was winning the rose bowl in uh, 2001. sure yeah yeah, for me, uh, uh, beverage of choice for the evening is kind of a mix your own uh, Michelada with fat and juicy Chipotle blend, uh, Bloody Mary mix, and some Rainier. Um, for me, my history is a, a Husky fan. It, it's going, you know, going back to like Tugs, you know, hearing games in the car and as a kid when you know out with my parents driving around. And and in case you didn't guess, I, I was probably a little bit of a brat <laughs> telling them to turn the volume up so I couldn't didn't have to hear them. Um, my earliest Husky memory, and I don't remember the exact year. Uh, was an away game at the state or was a home game uh, against, I think, Oklahoma State where, where I think we lost. And it was either like the Chris Chandler or Kerry Conklin era at quarterback. Uh, so it goes back a ways. Uh, and then certainly in, in going to school there uh, really has just solidified. And I just bleed purple and <laughs> I can talk Huskies till the cows come home and probably after they're, they're dead and buried too. <laughs> And I will also say I'll put you know either in, in our Twitter bios or the the show Twitter bio uh, everybody's uh, Twitter so everybody can find us um, and uh, yeah we'll do that. Uh, all right, on to topic two: why another UW pod and, and kind of how we see our the, the vision for the pod. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll hop up. I think that there's kind of a, a bit of a market gap there because obviously you have some well-established UW podcasts. You have, uh, you got Chester, you have the season is over, even though they haven't posted in, you know, a century. Um, <laughs> but I think, <laughs> I think that in terms of like actual fan perspectives and providing fan perspectives, there's not actually a podcast and it's literally just going to be, you know, whoever's on the podcast that week just sitting down and, kind of shooting the shit a little bit just about UW football and, and those topics. And I think that fan perspective from a mix of different backgrounds, like we already went over is something that can be pretty valuable. Yeah. And, and I definitely also want to recognize uh, F Mac. And then one of our, our missing contributor for the evening squints will be able to provide some, some good X's and O's and, and more kind of in-depth uh, topic and analysis, particularly as we get into the season. And that's something that uh, I don't think we're going to, we have in, a, a vision to go full Hugh Millen, um, but at least getting a, a little bit more depth on that. Yeah, I should have I should have added that into my why listen to me. Um, but yeah, we can we, we can get into that at some point. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that'll happen over time, uh, just naturally. All right, moving on to uh, the the real topic and, and pain point for the week is as I've been referring to it as as our life is pain moment. Uh, uh, saying farewell to to Coach K. Uh, I'm going to go cry. Yeah, I already did. 
Yeah, I, I want to, you know, I, I tweeted something and I know a number of us have already, but but certainly want to recognize him and, and thank him for, for what he's done for our defense over the, the course of his career here, uh, particularly for, you know, for all of us that, that kind of grew up with that dominant defense being a, a real cornerstone of Husky football. Seeing that brought back is, has been really valuable and I, I think has exacerbated why it hurts so much to see him move on. But uh, but I also think that you know we, we might have some hope. Um, so I wanted to get everybody's perspective on kind of who who might be out there that, that could keep the the death row dogs alive and, and keep us dominating on the defensive side of the ball. Before that, we need to mention that uh, the only bright spot of Pete leaving is that he might take Bob with him. So <laughs> that's really what Cheers I'm holding out for. That's Please. the silver lining in all of this. That's all I need in my life right now is for Bob to be done. But we're not that lucky. We're not. <laughs> we're really not. No. Maybe we are, but I mean, you know, who thought who who would have thought Larry Scott had be gone tonight? So That's true. Th- th- there is very always hope. Point. Yeah. Um yeah, that's salvage of the week for sure. I salvaged my year, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Too bad it didn't happen in 2020. Fuck me. Or you know, yeah. <laughs> a year after he was hired, when the 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 TV deal became such a cluster. Oh my god, that was a nightmare. Anyway, I know. Anyway, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep we're gonna keep coming back to that one for yeah, sure. For sure, thousand yeah. percent. I think I I was surprised. I was a little bit surprised that uh, you know PK left just because he's he's kind of like a lifer with Jimmy and that whole crew. So it was surprising you know, and disappointing. Obviously you can't hate on the guy. Like he's got a great opportunity. He's going to make life changing money. And so, Hey, he's got to go do that. Um, I guess the open question for me is like how much of the, how much of like the core identity of our defense was Jimmy and how much of it was PK. And I guess, you know, we'll, we'll find out, right. Hopefully that culture that we've established is bigger than just him. Right. And we don't lose that kind of style of play and defense. That's yeah, great. I guess I guess we'll find out who uh, is the mastermind of the deep safety back there. Is it was it <laughs> Coach Gay or is it Jimmy? Oh yeah. God, I'm trying to yeah. hide Asa back there. Yeah, I think also we'll yeah. kind of see uh, just like with Jimmy, whoever Jimmy hires as DC. I think we'll get a better idea of who is kind of behind a lot of the defense in the last couple of years. Um, because if he hires a new DC and not much changes, obviously we'll know. Uh, if he hires more of a recruiting-oriented defensive coordinator, I think that'll be an indication that maybe he wants to control the defense, and then we'll just see where the differences go from there. Yep, absolutely. Great point, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd certainly love to see, um, you know, particularly going back to that 2016 team, you know, that whole, you know, at, at every level of the defense, those guys were playing with attitude and with, like, just not just we're going to stop you, but you're going to know you played us and you're going to regret it. I mean, look at... Um, one of the, my favorite stats or kind of things that you saw from that, from that year or for those couple of years were not only did we wreck people when they played us that the next week they got their butts kicked too, because they were so dang sore from, right. from yep. our defense getting after them. Yeah. Anybody have any, uh, any favorites or, or kind of leading candidates that you'd love to see come in and, and, and be the successor to coach K? Yeah, I'll go. So with the one uh coach that kind of stuck out to me right when i heard about the coach k news is everyone's probably probably pretty familiar with is gerald alexander 
And, you know, he's received a lot of hype over the last couple of years, especially what he's done at Cal. And, you know, so I started looking into some background of his and particularly the work he's done at Cal. So kind of go through a little background information. He's, he's 36 from Southern California. So when he went to school at Boise, it was a pretty high draft pick, second round by Detroit. So he played a few years in the NFL. So he has some experience there and then started getting the coaching around, around 2013, hopped around a couple schools, couple NFL teams. And then, yeah, his biggest and most notable stint was at, was at Cal where he's a DB coach for uh, 2017 to 2019, so three years there. And that's when he really made a name for himself. Oh, he was also uh, a grad assistant for UW for a year back in 2014. So that's where the familiarity with Jimmy might might happen there. Yeah, and so at, at Cal, he did really well coaching the DBs, and then as uh, not Miami Dolphins, a DB coach there. So at Cal... When I was looking through the numbers, you know, as I mentioned, I, he was one of my favorites, if not the favorite I had going in. But when I'm looking into the numbers, it's, I wouldn't say it's concerning. It's because it's not, he put up yeah, some good defenses with DBs and had some guys get drafted. But it just maybe wasn't as good and didn't stick out as much as I thought. So I looked through the Cal's defense from the, the year before he got there, 2016 up until the year after so this last season, 2020. And, you know, the numbers are kind of all over the place. His first year, the DBs gave up more passing yards than the year before, uh, but less passing touchdowns and middle of the pack and passing touchdowns and interceptions. But 18 and 19, where his DBs really excelled, and they're number one in passing yards, 2018, passing TDs, number two. Then number one in interceptions, so great season 2018. 2019 kind of regressed a little bit, still towards the top for passing yards and passing touchdowns. He only had two draft picks drafted while he was coach, and that was his last year, uh, 2020. So he had a third-round pick with Jalen Hawkins and a fourth-round pick in um, – for. Forgot Ashton, Ashton Davis. Sorry, yep. Uh, he's a third round pick, and Jalen Hawkins is fourth round. And Ashton Davis was actually a walk on. So, I think the his pedigree of developing is there. I think he has shown he can coach really well. Uh, another thing that kind of stuck out was he didn't have any commitments from any four star uh, recruits. So I know I know he was at Cal, so that's kind of difficult to get those four stars there, but I thought there would be, you know, one or two in there, but I'm, I'm guessing if you stayed in 2020, you probably would have got at least one four star DB. So, you know, the verdict on a, him being a recruiter, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I mean, he has, he has the hype. He, like people around him seem to, to like him. So he- that brings up a good question though, DJ. And I know we've got a couple of their profiles, but like, do we, do we believe that we need to index towards a recruiter mm-hmm. or towards like a, a defensive, you know, I mean that. scheme, scheme, you know, because you think about, and I always come back to like the, do we have like a solid enough culture? Like you think about Pete Carroll, right. And guys like, you know, Robert Sala and Gus Bradley and Dan Quinn, 
you know, he's able to like keep the culture and the style and kind of rotate guys through. And so do we feel that, you know, Jimmy can kind of keep that culture and if he can, and it's more about the recruiting, then great. Let's get the recruiter. If we feel like we need the scheme guy, you know, then, then who is that? Right. That's, that's my open question. It all depends on what or how much Jimmy has his hands on the defense. Right. Because if we're looking at it as Jimmy hires, like DP said earlier, if he hires someone that's going to be mainly a recruiter, then he's going to be having his hands all over that defense. Whereas if he hires more of a scheme guy, he might take a little bit more of a hands-off approach toward the defense. Um, So this hire will really tell us what he feels about how much he's going to want to control the defense versus how much he's going to want to just have an ace recruiter um, so, I mean, it, it's going to tell us a lot. Yeah. And one thing, one thing I think I, that it is important to throw out there is that if you look at like our defenses here, like we were obviously really good, but how much better would we have been if we just had some linebackers? And so I think there is like points in favor of hiring a recruiter. But one other thing you could also point out is that if Jimmy kind of has a house sale and he says goodbye to Harris and goodbye to Brown and goodbye to Gregory and gets guys who can recruit at those positions. So we, we still, I, I think Jimmy will obviously be able to recruit DBs still just cause he has that pedigree. I think if you have recruiting, that's really strong with all three position coaches then I don't think it need to get someone who can recruit really well. I think I saw Tosh was thrown out there by Coker on Twitter. I don't think it's as big of a need if you can get guys who are elite recruiters at all three positions. Cause think about how good our defense would have been this year. If we just had like Nick Bolton in the middle instead of Jackson's, or if, or, you know, I, I Dude, certainly think, I think that there's pain and pain. And I absolutely think that there's talent in the linebacker room and, and, yeah. um, and certainly that's not to ignore. I think Eddie bald his mind out this year. And I think he can do that again. And I think Eddie's a great linebacker. Um, I think Jackson has potential, but I think a lot of the, the concerns that we have with Gregory are, are the lack of development. And I also think that there could be a little bit of a difference in that room if, um, both Danny Hammer and Calvert aren't coming off of injuries from last year. So that, I think, changes the compl- complexity. But there again, when you're talking about consistent recruiting across every level of the defense, the fact yep. that two players being out or coming off of injury drastically impacts the on-field performance is is an indictment of, of Gregory's tenure and, and what he's done here at Washington. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, and yeah, another thing on the Gerald Alexander topic, so he he sounds like he's developed really well, which is obviously want something you want as a coach, but his position is DBs. And I know Jimmy is a head coach, so he's not going to be hands-on with the DBs as much, but but he's still going to have uh, a foc- at least somewhat of a focus on the DBs. And so we already have that developer with Jimmy already that we can use to – help with those techniques at DB. So yeah, after going through this, I'm, I mean, I still like Gerald Alexander. I think he'd be great, but I probably wasn't, I'm probably not as high on him as I was before looking at some of his history, but I mean, I, I, I think it could be a, a solid hire still, but I think there might be a better one out there. I'll follow on that. Um, I kind of took on Peter Sermon as my guy that I wanted to kind of profile and initially, like I had a, a good uh, image of Sermon in my head, 
And then I started to kind of look at it from both a recruiting and defensive standpoint. And it actually turned into more of a why I don't want them to fucking hire Peter. <laughs> yes, bring it. Um, so he got his first look as a defensive coordinator at Mississippi State in 2016. Uh, that year, they were 93rd in total defense in the country. Uh, and then he Ooh. went to Louisville in 2017. He made a little bit of an improvement, but he did have a little bit of better uh, talent draft-wise, uh, uh, 70th in total defense. Uh, and then he went to Cal. Uh, but in 2018, he was the inside linebackers coach. He wasn't. He didn't have his hands all over the defense just at inside linebacker. Uh, they were 22nd in total defense that year, so significantly better. Uh, and then he got promoted to uh, D.C. or co-D.C. at least. Um and they went to 32nd in total defense in 2019. Uh, and then in 2020, they were 48th in total defense. Uh, they never once outranked UW in total defense. So I don't know how much we want to go from uh, PK that was consistently in the top echelon of total defense as a team. Um, another thing that Jimmy likes to talk about a lot is turnovers. Uh and a guy that two years ago led the team that was 99th in the country in turnovers per game does not sound like a good time. Um, and then from a recruiting standpoint, uh, I was looking at his top 10 uh, recruits based on 24-7 composite. I um, had an average of a 92 rating for his top 10. Um, but his last four-star recruit was in 2015 when he was at USC as recruiting coordinator under Sark. Um, so I I don't think he's going to be a recruiter. I don't think he's going to lead too much in terms of the actual performance on the field. If our big position of uh, notoriety at UW is defensive backs, if you're lead or you're leading a team that's 99th in total turnovers per game as far as interceptions and fumble recoveries go i don't know if i want that on my team so put me down as no thank you peter sermon and the added complexity that it sends on the team uh, yeah that too true <laughs> and and i think that there there is you know certainly as as we look at you know um both sermon and, and alexander with you know with cal coaching backgrounds I, I do think you know certainly a contributing factor to that uh is the the disparate talent level between what they had at cal versus what they're coaching at washington but again also with with the recruiting right. example and and the one point that i was going to make when dj was talking about gerald is you know is ultimately the, the decision with gerald if he's going to come in as a defensive coordinator and having not called the plays before and have more primary responsibility for coaching the defensive backs while Jimmy is still touching into that is the evaluation points are, is he going to be a better recruiter at that position than what we have currently across Will Harris and Terrence? And is he a better developer than those two guys? But again, there's also the, the, the layer of, and again, with that question of how much Jimmy is going to have his hands on the entire defense, uh, I'll go next and, and talk about uh, one of the other names that's that's certainly been mentioned uh, in regards to, and, and connected to, to being elevated, which who is our current uh, co-defensive coordinator uh, alumna. Bob Gregory. 
no, I think I think the, it all the, down. The yeah, I think the consensus on this pod, uh, it, as regards Bob, uh, although he actually had some success as a defensive coordinator at Cal uh, under Tedford and, and was actually nominated uh, for the Broyles Award back in two thousand four. Uh, given that the uh, unit that he coordinates for our team has not been a particular strength. Um, By you which know, you mean it sucks. A... Yeah, with, with, <laughs> the, the, with the exception, of, or he's been fortunate. And yes, we've had a, a decent return game uh, when the the person returning kicks was a guy named Dante Pettis or, or returning kickoffs was John, was a guy named John Ross. Uh, and, you know, there, it's been very very uh, sporadic or, or very inconsistent to put it charitably in terms of kind of the, the holistic special teams game, elevating him to, to, to being in charge of an even more important unit does not sound like something that we should take a look at. Uh, but Akaika, uh, who's our co-defensive coordinator has three years of experience as a defensive coordinator previously, including one at Utah state back in 2014, where he uh, coordinated the number 12 uh, defense uh in nationally in scoring defense, allowing 19.7 points per game. Uh, they were 59th in passing defense at 225.4 yards per game, 24th in rush defense at 130.6, uh, 30th in total yards per game at about 356.1. And uh, they did uh, rank 22nd in turnovers per game, turnovers caused per game at 2.1. Uh, the previous year, uh, they had actually ranked uh, even better in a number of categories. They were up at 7th at points per game at 17.1, were 51st in passing defense, 8th in rushing defense, 12th in total yards per game, and twenty and and maintained the the 22nd ranking with exactly the same turnover uh, cause. Um, on the recruiting front, uh, I think it's been covered at length uh, by our uh, compatriots over at the season is over uh, that it has been inconsistent. Uh, certainly from a development standpoint uh, is consistent in putting the guys that he brings in into the league. Certainly we expect, uh, and we'll cover this in a future episode, the, the prospects for the pro, you know, for our upcoming and, and new pro dogs uh, that are coming out this year, we, we certainly expect uh, a great draft position or, or a good draft position for Levi. Uh, obviously Vita Vea goes without saying Greg Gaines is playing consistently for, for the Rams, but, but he's had, so he's had years where he's recruited very well, uh, certainly going back to the the 18 class with, and I might be wrong in, in here, uh, with with Tuatele Bandis, Nagalu, and, and Paama, that's exactly how you would draw a class up, in my opinion. Uh, however, two years prior, there wasn't anyone in, in, in from an interior defensive lineman, so it's an inconsistent mark at best, or some years incomplete, some years A. So inconsistency in that aspect of the of his job. Malloy, he, at first I was like, no, we, we, we shouldn't promote from within. And not that I'm advocating for it, but if we promote Malloy, I'll be good with that if we make other changes. So obviously we need to bring in an outside linebacker coach, but we need to fire Greg and then probably get another, uh, bring in a new DB coach and replace one of those guys. But if we do that, so, I mean, that's a lot to ask for, and for especially team. But if we promote him and bring in some recruiters in other positions, I, I think I might be okay with that. But given 
the history would probably promote him and then bring in one guy for to replace Coach K, and that's it. Yeah, and that's a, and that's a key variable. If we bring in somebody that, I mean, let's be honest in terms of a development standpoint at at, at our Buck and, and Sam positions, Coach K is irreplaceable. Uh, you know, in, in two aspects, I think Coach K is absolutely irreplaceable in, in his schematic calling of a defense. He is an elite defensive coordinator, and he is not also an elite developer of talent. And he has significantly leveled up from a uh, from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, I'll you know I'll put it to the group. You know, as you replace, you know, strictly looking at the outside linebacker position, better recruiter, okay coach, better coach, average recruiter. What's the preference? What's the hope? I would say better recruiter. Yeah, because I, I trust Jimmy. Yep, I trust that Jimmy can coordinate a good defense because he was co DC with Coach K. Uh, for what that's worth, um, I think that if he gets his hands on recruiting, because I mean the year that Jimmy was a co DC, we signed Trent, Asa, Cam, Will, Cam Fab. But this year, we're signing, no disrespect to any of the guys that we signed this year, but it's not the same class, let's be honest. No, 100%. Um, so I would definitely say that I would prefer a more recruiting-oriented coach than if I had to choose between the two of a recruiting-oriented coach and a scheme-oriented coach, I would go with a recruiting-oriented coach because I trust that Jimmy could handle the defense on his own, whereas... I don't necessarily think that if we hire a scheme-oriented coach that we could still pull elite players. Yeah. And I think, like I said earlier, if we were to hire a scheme-oriented coach, it would have to come along with changes on the coaching staff. Because if you're going to hire someone who's focusing on scheme, the 100%, that means you have to have good recruiting on the defense positionally. Because if your DC isn't recruiting, you better damn well hope that your D-line coach, your linebacker coach, and secondary coach is recruiting. Yep. Yep. And we talked about this in the GC, 100%. right? Like, in an elite program, like, you're turning over coordinators every year, right? They get poached. And so Jimmy's had his, you know, he's been pretty intact, uh, you know, and we've been, we've been insulated from that. So can he play the game where he's building a staff, right? It's bigger than just one person, your defense or your offense, right? So can you hire, you know, to, for scheme, can you hire for recruiting? Can you put the picture together and, and keep us on, on track? I think that's like a big question mark for me. And overall, like, Hey, I'm still, I'm still, you know, in the, you know, in the Jimmy Lake fan club, but, He's got to prove that he can do that. He hasn't really had to. He hasn't been tested like that, really. Yeah, I, I really, to some extent, this season and and you know, I'd like to see you know have a discussion about this. Uh, I see this as kind of an early point in his career where he had where he's kind of at that Sark point post the Alamo Bowl of like, do you want to be successful, or are you okay with? Yeah, we'll win seven, eight, nine games, but in terms of talk, winning at a high level, it it may happen. We may luck into it, but it's not a, a consistent, per, you know, or a definitive pursuit that that's proven in every aspect of our program. Yep. 
All right, I'll hop in next. So this was actually the first suggestion I saw about it was uh, Husky Football Opinions. He mentioned in like one of the group chats, he mentioned Chad Staggs at Coastal Carolina. And obviously the first reaction to that is, you know, tiny school, whatever. So I looked into his background. I think it's actually, this is, it was very much a scheme-oriented hire as opposed to recruiting hire. Like he's coming from Coastal Carolina. Before that, he was at Furman. We absolutely know nothing about his ability to recruit. And he's one of those guys where if you took him, it's 100% you need to be filled with elite recruiters on staff. So he started out actually as a graduate assistant under Steve Spurrier at South Carolina. So he handled secondary linebackers there. Um, and then he moved to Charleston Southern, did secondary there. Then he went to North Greenville, which is Division Two. And so, like, obviously we're not off to a great start here. We're still stuck in Division Two. This is uh, nine years ago. But one thing I found out really interesting, and this this is kind of a trend throughout his career as defensive coordinator. In his last year at North Greenville, uh, the team went eleven and three and made a run to the Division Two playoffs. Um, and then he went to Coastal Carolina, where he was under, or sorry, Charleston Southern, my bad, where he was under Jamie Chadwell, who's the current head coach at Coastal Carolina, and he was there for four years. Um, and yet again, the defense got better his last season they finished seventh nationally in total defense ranking um and they were ranked 14th in the final fcs poll so again uh his last year they were on the up and up then he went to Furman, and his first year um they only had one senior in their two deeps um and they went eight and five and then the next year they um had a share of the conference championship. So exact same trend His like, as he gets, spends more time at a program, they continually get better. So he moves to coastal Carolina where he's at now, uh, his first year, they improved a little bit. Um, so they improved pretty much every area, got more turnovers, fewer yards per game, et cetera. Uh, but it still wasn't a great defense. So I was looking at S and P rankings. I think they went from 119th in total defense to 118th. Then obviously, as we saw this season, Coastal Carolina was really good. So I went and looked at their defense. He took them from 118th in his first year when he was hired in July, mind you. So he's not like he had a ton of time. He went all the way up to 33rd in the country in S&P defense. So as far as a track record, I think there's very clearly evidence that year after year, his defenses improve every time he's left the program. It's been after a really good season for the program and defensively. And then the question is just, A, can he make the jump? So can he go from uh, a place like, you know, Coastal Carolina or Charleston Southern or Furman, where in those conferences, the difference from bottom to top talent isn't as big as it is in a Power 5 conference? So can he make that jump and elevate a defense? I mean, obviously, we have a ton of talent defensively, but can he elevate a defense that already has a lot of talent and be can he recruit? Because if he can recruit, I feel like it's a pretty easy hire, right? If this, if a guy whose defenses get better every year, who's getting great defenses at freaking Coastal Carolina and Furman of all places, if you give him all the talent that we have defensively, like, and if he can recruit, I think it's absolutely a hire. But I think there's very much a question of can he recruit? And the answer is probably no, considering his experiences at Furman and Coastal Carolina. And so if you were to hire him, he's 100% one of those guys where you just have to completely revamp the defensive coaching staff. Yeah, then it's, then it's bring in Tosh and bring in Dante Williams if you can, right? Yeah. Like you got to surround him with like that, the recruiting talent, right? Yep. yep. Yeah, but that's, I mean, like t talking about bringing that defense up to 33rd, like without spring ball, like getting hired post spring ball to do that, that's really impressive from a, 
uh, an improvement in on-field performance. And I think in some ways, and I don't know that we're in that position right now with, I think we're kind of with, you know, we've seen certainly this year, the recruiting fall off a little bit, but uh, to, to see it, you know, if there's a ramp up to get, you know, that quality of a coach, can we support them with enough recruiters to get it turned in the right direction? So where we're consistently top 20, top 10 classes where we should be, um, that's an intriguing prospect to me. Yeah. So how, uh, how old is he and where's he from? Uh, as far as how old is he, he's got no, I, I I've got no idea cause he didn't have like a Wikipedia <laughs> or anything, but, uh, he did, yeah. he graduated from college in 2000. So you could make a wild okay. estimate and say he's approximately, you know, low forties, um, kind of shot in the dark. Yeah. Uh, what was it? What was the other one? Okay. What, where he's from or like where he went to school or where he was born or whatever. Uh, he went to USC upstate. So he's just South Carolina all the way through, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So no, no ties really to West coast. No, but I think he could being from the South actually give us, and I know we've been trying to recruit in Texas and we all have opinions on how good that is. Obviously we, you know, that's partly because we have Boner as our Texas recruiting coordinator, but I think he might, there's a chance he could give us access to that area of the country in terms of recruiting. And we obviously can't recruit there at all right now. We're just pretty much, pretty much just California and Washington at the moment, but, and uh, we got Arizona and Nevada too, but if we could make inroads there, I think that could be a boost because there is a ton of talent there. But Hey, we, we put an offer out to a Tennessee corner before in-state corners for 2020 for 2022. Yeah. I think we'll complain about uh, in-state recruiting on a, on a different podcast, but it's definitely <laughs> something we will be yeah, complaining about. Sure. Yeah. We don't have enough time to get into that topic, that's for sure. <laughs> definitely, for sure. Not. Um, definitely not. Uh, any, anybody else have a, have a name out there that they're intrigued by or, or would like to see Merrick you know, get considered? Uh, FMAC, do you have one? If not, I was going to bring up one other. No, I don't know. I mean, we, I touched briefly on Dante Williams. Um, I don't know if yeah. you want to go down that rabbit hole. I think that's mostly a recruiting play. I, I think he's like number one ranked recruiter in the pack um, or he's up there to me. That's a, that's a pure recruiting play. He's never been a DC, right? He's been like, you know, cornerbacks, coach, grad assistant, quality control linebackers, et cetera. Um, so I don't know. We can spend a little bit of time on him if there's appetite for that. Otherwise, yeah, I was going to see if, if there's anyone else on the list here that I can just see, find in the Twitter sphere. Yeah, that was the one that I was going to bring up as well. And, yeah, I think the – I mean, obviously we talked about uh, what some good reasons why to bring in a recruiter. And I think for, like, looking at the standpoint from Jimmy and, like, the administration, bringing in a recruiter – in my mind would mean less changes that they might have to make with the current staff to bring in a recruiter. And then for him, you know, he's already a DB coach. So they probably have to just make one other change for outside linebacker. And I mean, obviously we want Gregory fired, but it probably won't happen. He would have been gone years ago, but yeah. So that's, that's another aspect where I think a recruiter might, might work. Cause I think, obviously up our recruiting, but there'd be, they'd probably make less changes in the staff and that's probably what they want to do. Whereas if you, you know, get uh, the coastal Carolina DC or Malloy, 
you know, they're probably more scheme. I'm assuming Malloy is, but I don't know for sure. And you've to compete, you'd have to make more changes with the staff or with recruiting. So Dante is definitely up there for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only other, uh, the only other name for me that, uh, I mean, it's, I'd give it probably less than a percent chance, but, but FCS or uh, FCS coach, head coach to FBS coordinator has happened before. Uh, you know, Bull Baldwin being an example of that. And, and I think given his history on the staff, uh, certainly, you know, as we talk about our, you know, our Texas pipeline and even strengthening that. And, and I think one of the primary reasons that Levi on Wuzurike was a Husky in the first place was Jeff Choate. And if there was any way that, that we could pull him from Montana state to come back and be our defensive coordinator and, and kind of, and, and I think that's the, probably the best possible, you know, I think that's for us the best possible outcome in terms of replicating or coming close to replicating coach K from a, a schematic and, and, and coaching development standpoint, as well as, you know, bringing in somebody that, that has some recruiting prowess as well. Yeah. And maybe the most realistic option too. I don't know. We didn't touch on Court Dennison at all, right? So he's like Louisville co-D coordinator and OLB coach. And he's, I think he was like head of recruiting last time I looked at it, but he's another one, former Washington linebacker, right? Um, and so there's, and I, I haven't even looked at like, you know, what their defense is like. I know he's co-defensive coordinator. So usually what that means, is like, you've got a coach who's on the come. And so you give him the title without really any responsibilities. Uh, so I don't know how much to weigh into that one, but he's a guy, another candidate. It's like former UW guy. We've heard, I think it was Jordan Reffitt who said on Twitter, they're like, yeah, he knows him. He's a good guy, a good recruiter. So that's another name to keep an eye on, I guess. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think I, I did a brief little bit of research on, on what coaches or what court has coached. And I think in, as, as he's come up through the, the, the coaching ranks, he has touched in out li- outside linebackers. I think certainly, uh, the, the, his reputation thus far is, is absolutely as, uh, you know, stronger on the recruiting side. And that's certainly in a combination, whether it was, uh, you know, Joe coming in as a defensive coordinator and giving court a DC or, or in that scenario where, 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 where honestly, either a Kaika or Bob were elevated to the, the full defensive coordinator role, bringing court as a co DC, um, and, and bring that recruiting prowess is certainly appealing. And, um, you know, we, we've been somewhat hit and miss with, with, uh, alums on the staff in the past, but but yeah. I think you know people that can really sell the vision and about what this place is all about is is never a bad thing. Justin Glenn, oof, <laughs> big yikes. Well, if we are going to throw a recruiting name out there for the defensive coordinator position, yeah. obviously I I think I touched on it for like half a second earlier in the podcast. Tosh is an option where if. Yeah, if you want to go all in on recruiting, if if Jimmy's saying, you know what, I'm going to run the defense, that's going to be my thing. I'm well. I hope this doesn't happen, but I'm just going to let John Donovan have free reign in the offense. In which case, you know, season is over before it starts. But whatever. Uh, if if Jimmy was going to go like, hey, I'm I'm going to run the plays on the defense, and that's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to control the defensive side of the things, and just let my offensive coordinator you know, do his thing. Tosh Lupoy would kind of be that hire just as a recruiter. I think everyone here is just familiar with, you know, Tosh's abilities. I would say he is one of one of the most elite bagmen in in the college football game yeah. right now. Which obviously if you look at the Henry Toot Toot situation if you look at the uh if you look at Brandon Cajo, uh, uh, a bagman. Oh, and Tommy Togi, yeah, there's a shout right there. Yeah. That, you know, th- those I'll are a couple of guys. Mariani. 
<laughs> yeah, facts. Yeah. There are a couple guys right there where maybe having, you know, uh, uh, some, some Tosh Lupoi coffee cups would be uh, beneficial in that situation. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you want to see, like, a bag with a Dix Deluxe and, like, a few grand in it, like, Tosh <laughs> is your guy, right? Like, exactly. That's, you know, shout out to Tennessee, right? Like, if we want to go – and there's and there's people who want to – who, like, are like, hey, you know what? Like, we need to start dropping bags. And, like, I get that. I get that, too. So, you know – I know we got burned a little bit with it on Tosh when he was here, right? He had some, you know, funky stuff that he was pitching in Linwood, I think. But Andrew, yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, nice pull. Yeah, but I, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see, like, you know, in the broader perspective with the, you know, with the changes in the NCAA regulations and the sponsorship opportunities is is the right answer at some point going to be somebody that has that background of of the bag men and being able to to transition that into you know finding sponsorships to you know for players and and bringing that aspect in, or bringing it under the the legal auspices is it somebody that's that's fudged the rules a little bit in the past and and, and, and <laughs> to a new environment or is it we're going to to keep doing it the exact same way and yeah by the by the way shocker of the century tennessee got like popped for it like oh what a surprise how the fuck fuck did they recruit like that they're one of the worst teams in the sec and all of a sudden who could have predicted everybody it's like oh wow i wonder everyone's all excited to go to knoxville all of a sudden apparently jeez louise sorry sorry dp good uh yeah um I was just uh, on the topic of um, recruiting. I think in terms of like our positional depth for 2021, if you look up and down our defense at every single position, we are absolutely loaded. And so I think it's a place where you can chance having a guy who's more recruiting focused at DC, just because up and down the depth chart, there is so much talent that my dead grandma could walk in and coach a decent defense. Like there's just so much there especially if you look at our D like our D lines obscene for next year, it's flat out obscene. Um, so if you just look at all the talent that we have on defense, it's going to be pretty, <laughs> thank you, DJ. I appreciate that. Um, if you look at all the talent we have on defense next year, it's going to be, it, it would be pretty difficult to screw that up. And so I think that's a situation where I think you can take a recruiter. So whether that's, you know, Tosh, whether it's court, some of the other names we've been throwing out there, I think it is a situation where a recruiter might be better than a scheme guy, especially with Jimmy in the boat. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, I think that kind of wraps it up uh, for, for the defensive, the, the, the Pete uh, Kwiatkowski uh, replacement topic, anything anybody else wants to touch on? I know we've gone for about an hour um, you know, I think we're going, we're planning on having a, a consistent segment talking about kind of the things that we need to see fixed, uh, both in the football program and, you know, the, the broader athletic department, anything that that's hot button. I, I think we've got a little time that if anybody has any hot button ideas that for discussion, the DP go. <laughs> I mean, if, if we're going to talk about other things that need to be improved, especially with the firing of Larry Scott, I'm sure we're going to complain about this in every single episode we do marketing um so we'll we'll probably at some point touch on the digitization of you know football recruiting and football in general uh how you know we didn't really do that under pete 
But the fact of the matter is where we are at right now in terms of national perception, it's a failure of the UW football program, first of all, for not marketing ourselves because Oregon has that. It's a failure of Jen Cohen as the UW AD because that's like, you know, her role there. And it is a massive, complete, total, ginormous, flaming ball of shit failure from the Pac-12. And, you know, hopefully Larry Scott's firing is the first step to fixing that. But I, I saw a tweet from uh, John Rothstein on Twitter right before we got on here. And he was talking about how, like, the top Pac-12 teams are losing to the bottom Pac-12 teams. And he was going, oh, well, that's such a problem for the conference. You can't have your low guys beating your top guys. If that's happening in the SEC, right, if Vanderbilt goes out and beat Bama, beats Bama, ESPN is going to be like, oh, wow, look at all the depth in this conference, right? Look how deep they are. They're stacked from the bottom to the top. When it's the Pac-12 doing it, it's because our top teams are bad. And that complete national failure in narrative is part of why our program is where it is. And again, it's 100% not an excuse. We're not going to make excuses for our personal program failures, whatever. But having that kind of conference leadership and that kind of conference exposure where you're playing 8.30 p.m. games on Friday nights and Saturday nights, whatever, that's not a good place to be in. And so hopefully that's at least the first step of getting out of that hole. Yeah, it it's like... to the analogy that I would use for it. And, and again, it's not a complete excuse for our athletic department. And I think we, our, our department could have done a ton more to ameliorate that. And the fact that we've had the most successful five-year run since the early 2000s. And since I was a student and we've lost season ticket holders year over year, even <laughs> with those issues is, is just an indescribable failure uh, on the, on, on the part of our department. However, with I, I will say that you know the departments have been you know and, and this is across the conference have been act you know operating under that handicap and, and in some ways the analogy that I would use is that it's like asking somebody to play Tiger Woods where Tiger gets to hit from you know the regular men's tees and you've got to play <laughs> play from the back like it just yeah. It, yeah you've got no chance like and that's where it starts at the top right like our our media like our quote unquote media company, Pac-12 has totally, totally failed us, right? Like we are, yeah. we're playing catch up, right? And so we, like the ADs can only do so much, right? They right. they own some of the blame for that. And it's not just the late start times too. It's the fact that you, like we're a total slave to the TV schedule. Like we don't even know like next weekend when we're, like the games are TBD yeah. like seven days out. It's like, Jesus guys, like help us out a little bit here. And that's, again, like that, the AD signed up for it when, you know, Larry unveiled his grand plan, but it's just been, we're just hamstrung completely. Yeah. It's a failure. Of, uh, yeah. Give me, uh, I was going to say it's, it's a failure of leadership at every level. It's a failure of, of obviously the, the leader that they hired for the entire conference and Larry Scott, it's a failure of the PAC 12 presidents not to keep him accountable. It's a, it's a failure of, of every PAC 12 athletic director and not telling their presidents that this is just a, a cluster of epic proportions. DP, go ahead. Yeah, so I think, like you guys obviously pointed out, that it's a handicap to the program. But on the other hand, especially when you're kind of starting at a disadvantage, you as a program need to be doing everything you can to overcome that. And we 100% have not. Like literally just the shift in terms of like like media and especially digital media since Peterson came to the program has been huge. And we really haven't followed along with any of that. We don't have 
like a particular branding thing going on. Obviously, part of that is having Skoducks and War Eagle in our freaking marketing department. But we don't have like a particular direction with our brand. I remember we used to put out the pursuit, and that was sick. But we didn't have like any particular like overarching narrative that we did. And I think part of that falls at the feet of Chris Peterson. Like if you were to think about a college football coach who is just not with, you know, the whole digital media and that whole marketing thing, it would be Peterson. And I know it's been like Jimmy kind of has the COVID excuse hanging over him as to why that there hasn't been a shift. But I think there absolutely needs to be, especially when you're looking at starting at a disadvantage like we are, thanks to Larry Scott. I think there absolutely needs to be a program-wide, not only shift, but a program-wide focus. And that starts with Jimmy and it also starts with Jen one of her yeah. biggest jobs over the next couple of years and one of Jimmy's biggest jobs over the next couple of years is going to be shifting the national perception of UW. Because if we can't change the perception of both the Pac-12 and UW within the Pac-12, we're never going to be considered a team that can compete on a national level. Yeah. And, and we, in some ways, the, the way I look at it and, you know, and somebody, if, if you disagree with me, <laughs> jump in. Um, I think given the, the market that we sit in, the the primary industry and and the hub of technology that Seattle is in and the fact that yes I know that that the the computer science program at at UW is is heavily more back end <laughs> software engineering focused but the fact that we haven't take, taken advantage of of just the local market and like we also we have a great computer science program and we have one of the best business schools in the country the fact that we haven't taken advantage of those two facts you know yeah to drive our brand and our brand penetration um, and that, yeah, Oregon has Nike and that's about it. We have so much more behind us. We have history that they don't have. We have a metropolitan area that they don't come anywhere even close to is to me an indictment and is something that absolutely needs, you know, to, to build on what you were saying, DP it is absolutely something that needs to change going forward or the athletic department as a whole, because it's not just football that it's impacting. Look, it's what, ha look at what has happened to basketball. Um, yeah. If we're gonna, if we're not only gonna survive, if we're gonna thrive as a program to the extent that we should, it's got, it's something that's got to change. Hey, what do you mean? What happened to basketball? We won tonight. <laughs> yeah, baby, two and thirteen, <laughs> two <Yeah>. and thirteen. <laughs> yeah, we made it out of that uh, prediction that you made in the teaser episode that we'd be the first team to lose all our oh. conference games in <laughs> basketball and football. Yep. So. Right. Avoid history you, there. You, you jinxed the DJ. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. Let's not talk about the the, um, the the other basketball program that went from the Final Four to the. Oh the my God! With, yo, yo, no yo, hope. Let's, of... let's not stop. Nope. <laughs> okay. Anyway, back um, to what we were saying about if, UW softball. If we uh, <laughs> if we want to touch Heather Tar is the. I want to bring we, it we back to uh, to defensive coordinator search for one second. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I looked at uh, Chad Stagg's profile. On oh, yeah, you see this, you see his picture. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he's not going to make it recruit. <laughs> but also, I'm looking at the little tagline at the end of his profile. It says, he graduated with a degree in math, so he's tech approved. So we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out, tech. Yeah, well, the... the uh, <laughs> yeah, I have, a, I have a degree in game theory and statistics. I guarantee you, I know more about the stuff than you do. Absolutely. But honestly, like you know, one thing that I will say about why another you do pod is you know really shout out to everybody that's creating content and talking about Husky athletics because you know if our department isn't doing it and putting our brand yeah out right, there, we have 100%. to. 
so it it's it's honestly like it's all in good fun when you know if we take a shot at anyone it's 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 all in good fun and it's all love um anybody have any clothing thoughts before we, we wrap things up with kind of a, a quick preview and synopsis of what we're going to talk about uh on our next edition yeah dp yeah i have some clothing thoughts um obviously larry scott has been fired uh next up we're going to go with fire bob gregory uh, and then I'm going to say fire Will Harris. And then I'm going to say, I mean, yeah, probably fire Terrence Brown too. Uh, and then I'm going to say, yeah, if you really want, you can maybe take some pot shots at Jen Cohen, considering the state of our football and basketball programs. And uh, if anyone else wants to add on to that list, uh, feel free to go ahead. Yeah, I, I think my one thought with, with Jen right now, I was thinking about it earlier, like in terms of the aspect of hiring coaches, which is, you know, somewhat important to her role. Uh, the 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 line that that I came up with, or, or what came to mind for me, is is Bob Euchre in Major League, uh, and F Mac. You've talked about it with you know she hit on the track coaches, but that's it. It's one goddamn hit. Um, so it's yeah. I'm not saying Jen needs to be fired yet, but but things need to shift in a big way, or we <clears> need to be in the market for a change in leadership. And yeah, well, she looks like a to DP's list there. If anything actually comes of these Puka rumors, you can fire Junior. Adams. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And John probably. Don. Yeah, John Don can. Fire oh, John Don. Yeah, I forgot to say John Don. Um, I mean, I. Yeah. No, no. Let's do more second and nine runs up the middle with Kamari Pleasant, please. I I want more of that. Give us more. I mean, like, yeah, I think the extra, the extra DB assistants who don't do anything except for they're supposed to recruit and aren't recruiting. And it was like, terrible. Man, that's, a, that's a tough one for me. It really is like, it's just like they, they inherited like a, the gold standard from Jimmy and they were brought in to help him scale to be a head coach. And they've done nothing with that equity that we've built up zero. Yeah. Our recruiting in that position is not leveled up and we're pumping guys out to the league every damn yeah, year like it's ridiculous. the highest paid safety in the league is an underside safety from washington yeah and that's Another not thing. any disrespect to buddha because he plays like an absolute monster jake out another thing that can fuck off forever is uh football players parents who make anonymous message those can fuck yeah. off forever <laughs> Always. Fuck off dogman guys too. Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> Anyone associated with dwagman.com. There was there was a post on Dogman. I think DJ, you sent it in our chat where literally someone was saying the reason that Pete is leaving <laughs> us for Texas is because fans were too mean to Bob Gregory. And that is the kind oh of god. if that doesn't sum up Dogman perfectly in its con like anything so else soft. ever will. So soft. I I don't know oh, if anyone yeah. else is on Dogman, but he probably recognized me as the most. I get the most downvotes of any poster <laughs> probably out there. Because I just I be real and they hate man. that. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's only because all the hardcore husky guys got banned already. Yeah, yeah. for yeah, that exactly. That's a badge. That's a badge of honor, DJ. It's a badge <laughs> of honor. It, it's like being blocked by Ruth. It's it's just. <laughs> it's a few to be part of Husky Twitter. When the time is right, it'll happen for you too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other uh, any other closing thoughts? Closing thoughts. No. Uh, Go dogs. I guess before man. before yeah. we get into the uh, topics for next week or brief preview of next week, skeletons in the closet slash our front yard. <laughs> um, <laughs> and our <she> <laughs> 
In-state recruiting, bro. Pain. I'm warn everybody. Next just week, pain. Next week. That's going to be an hour painful. of just yeah, it's complaining. Gonna bad.